2: welcome back to open the voice gate for october 12th 2021 we are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated podcast feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. If you'd like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our RedCircle.com landing site. Click the red box to sponsor this podcast, and you can set up a one-time or recurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I am one of your hosts. It is your old pal Max Series joined alongside your other host, my friend Case Low in Case. It's time for the big show. And we're not talking about no more BS here. We've got a lot to cover today. But how are you doing?
1: Uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm never necessarily doing well. I was blasting Casey Musgraves in my apartment alone seconds before we started recording this show. So it's, you know, it it's a process. It's a give and take in this thing we call life, but I'm looking forward to today's show. I've kind of been, th- th- this this episode has gotten me through my Tuesday. I'm kind of pumped to talk about everything that's going on in Drangate this past week, preview what's upcoming this weekend, and talk about our main man Nozawa wrong guy. A lot coming up in this show.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, last week was kind of the vegetables, even though it really wasn't the vegetables. It was a whole lot of fun. This week is uh, is the dessert. We've got a lot on offer tonight, and... Starting off, we have Cork and Hall from the 7th. We have Kyoto KBS Hall on the 9th. A little bit of Dragon Gate and Noah talk. And then, man, they're right back at it this week. And this has become a weekend promotion other than, you know, Cork and as of late. Have you picked up on that? Other
1: than Cork and the biggest shows of the year, because Gate of Destiny, which is coming up in a few weeks, is on like a Tuesday again. And it completely throws off my reviewing schedule because I'm at a point now in the shoot job where it's pretty hard for me to sit down on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and rub my hands together and go, okay, three and a half hours of, of hot fighting coming my way. Like I just don't have the time to do that. So quite honestly, the Saturday Kyoto shows, the, the double shots in Fukuoka, I love that these small shows are now on the weekends. It makes my life much, much easier. So I have no complaints with it. I wish a gate of destiny or a final gate, or, you know, anything other than world this year I think fell on a weekday and that was pretty annoying.
2: Yeah, it's because everything is somewhat based around the uh, Japanese cultural calendar. So like whenever dead or alive happens, it's either going to be on like the 5th or the 6th during Golden Week. So what we only get 2 out of 7 years where it lands on a weekend basically and it, it it's something that usually I love the schedule. I I like having the weekends. I like starting my Sunday and into Monday, going through Dragon Gate shows, you know, like that, that. that's a me time. The thing that's killing me is, and we were talking about this a little bit on air, the fact that AEW has moved to Saturdays this week, the next two weeks because of NHL obligations on TNT. Oh boy, I I have multiple whiteboards, case as you know, and one of my whiteboards is just writing down all the uh the shows coming up and like my recording schedules. Just because if I don't write down, I have no way of remembering it, and the next few weeks my weekends are packed full of wrestling i can't escape it and you know i i'm gonna put the blame on this i mean he's been getting a lot of roses thrown his way today for good reason but i'm putting the blame on this solely on tony khan tony you're making my life inconvenient
1: Well, it's basically like an extended branch of the Dragon system, because I'm sure, you know, we got Matt Seidel versus CM Punk on a Friday show. That is that is a match that I would book. That's well within case low produce of something that I would like to put pen to paper on and then see in real life. I saw a tweet today, something that this seems like a thought that would pinball around in my head constantly. But I really hadn't put the thought together of, you know, if we can get Shima in this country and get Shima in the ring with Dante Martin then boy, are we going to be cooking with oil here? It's interesting. Earlier, you said last week was the vegetables. This week is the the dessert. I noticed you did skip the meat and potatoes, which I find to be fascinating. But I started thinking about, you know, Matt Seidel and Dante Martin versus Shima and T-Hawk or Shima and Lindemann. And all of a sudden, I'm rubbing my hands together again. Strong hearts are back, baby. Fly that banner. I realize that will never happen, but it was, it was nice to think about. So just purely off of fantasy booking extended Dragon System universe, I have no I have no heat with TK as we were discussing uh, off air. Personally, this Wednesday night Dynamite moving to a Saturday makes my life easier this week. So me and Tony Khan, uh, better than ever, quite dare I say, Uh, our relationship is is two thumbs up you know the one thing i'll say is that aew is
2: extended dragon system because i mean we're having a world one versus uh suzuki gun on friday you know i mean technically uh, brian (laughs) Danielson never left world one even though he joined for approximately like two weeks
1: of course it's extended dragon system and helico is in the promotion we're talking about yave baby
2: I, I I was in a very good mood. They need to bring up Angelico and Helico and Yave right next to it, and that just you know bums me out a little bit. You know, just
1: he, he is, if I'm not mistaken, he's a former uh Dragon Cup winner. What's that? What's that gimmick yeah. called? uh the Young Dragons Cup. Thank you, Young Dragons Cup 2010. Also, he's a Yamaha Cup winner. So, oh, got a scooter. I... <laughs> at some point, whether it's audio-based or, or text-based, and I've mentioned this on the show before, I, go look at the history of the Young Dragons Cup and all of the success stories that have come out of that. It's something that, unfortunately, I think I am the person that has to write about it because I know nobody else cares. But well, it, Tokyo, <laughs> you, you and me, no, I guess.
2: <laughs> I, I was going to say, Cubs fan would probably be very amused by it.
1: <laughs> and Rob Viper. Magnum- Magnum Tokyo, Genki Horiguchi, Yasushi Kanda, Milano Collection, Taiji Ishimori, Rocky Romero, Okada, and Helico Those are names synonymous with greatness in professional wrestling.
2: It, it, it's something that I, I've always found like that, that facet of Torrey Mon Mexico really interesting, especially like the idea that the Yamaha Cup was a tag team tournament, that the idea was that the winners each got scooters and the first winners were Yuzushi Kanda and Susumu Mochizuki and just the idea of those two M2K guys just going down you know uh, the main streets of Nakapon and their scooters, you know that maybe that's why they had the razor scooters in M2K. They were so proud about it they went hey, misaki mochizuki we're bringing scooters back and and mochi was like yeah no that's fine
1: i don't know if you know this but yamaha cup 2006 your winners chuck palumbo and johnny stamboli they are officially dragon system alumni we are claiming chuck palumbo as ours
2: hey relic backwards is killer
1: (laughs) you know real quick and i know we've got a lot to talk about but while we're in the lucha verse i just want to throw this out there because i don't have another platform to mention this uh when we did Greatest Wrestler Ever earlier this year, Mike, and we did that project with Alan Forel over on the Pro Wrestling Torch. You can listen to all of those shows there. I highly recommend it. Were you a Pero Aguayo senior voter?
2: You know, I did not have I, I had Pedorito on my ballot, but I did not have his father.
1: I have been watching, and I I like I said, you know, just because of my job and everything going on in my life, I don't have a ton of time to watch wrestling during the week outside of AEW. If there's an AAW show that needs to be reviewed and then, you know, uh, maybe I'll get to some some older stuff if I if I really get lucky, but I have been making time carving time out of my day to watch classic Pero Aguayo matches lately. This is somebody who five years from now, when I submit another ballot, he is going to be on there. I've been watching, obviously, his stuff from Hamada's Universal, where he is brilliant there, both uh, with uh, teaming with Hamada and obviously wrestling against him. But even his stuff in Mexico, I am so taken aback by him right now. He is someone that is really making an impression on me because I, I always hear such great things about these Lucha Brawls and how great some of these matches are. and They never connect with me, but... Pero is a lucha brawler who I am enamored with because he can actually work when he's not just throwing punches and throwing chairs at people. He, he has substance to his work. So if you find time this week after you've watched Cork and Hall, after you've watched Kyoto, maybe before those Kobe Sambo Hall shows, watch some Pero Senior because I, I am really, really into him right now specifically. And of course, I'm going to forget his opponent here. There's one match recommendation I wanted to make and now I'm I'm fumbling on it. So give me one second here as I dive through my youtube search history well Uh, case
2: i could tell you what i watched last weekend that blew my mind completely please go ahead i watched face your narrative 2 and it broke my brain
1: i don't know okay you you gotta explain that to me i don't know what that is explain it to me like i'm five
2: well this is ec3 produce and...
1: Oh fuck! I did not know this existed.
2: <laughs> yes. Oh no, this is the second one. This was the first match of Braun Strowman after leaving WWE. Who I don't think I've watched a lot of Braun Strowman just because of when I when I went out of WWE. I just don't bother with WWE. It's not a part of my life anymore. I don't know them, but it is an hour and a half, and it is basically like the closest thing I could say to. And, and I don't mean this like really like because of things like with politics and media defamatory, it's the closest thing I would say to like truly conservative pro wrestling in a way, just because it's a lot of like EC3. Now is just openly cribbing Tyler Durden and talking about self-reliance and controlling your destiny. Uh, I know you're not a video gamer, but uh, friends of the show, Chris and Kevin from the bad wrestling podcast hit the nail on the head. He is basically Andrew Ryan from Bioshock as pro wrestler. And here's the thing about the show's case uh so it's everyone like around this ring they film in orlando and they light up the show with like rgb light tubes that change colors for whoever's in control of a match and 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 i know you're not gonna go out of your way of seeing this so there's not gonna be a spoiler matt Taven showed up to face uh roh dutch who's known as william here and whenever matt Taven was in control of the match the ring was all lit up purple and they have a, they have like an omniscient narrator who just is just spouting off nonsense in a very creepy voice. It's like, will they control their narrative or will they let the narrative control them? And it's just was like one of the more insane things I've seen over the last year. That's the kind of wrestling Are- I've been watching outside of what I've been covering lately.
1: All right, new tier on the Everything Elite Patreon, $100 tier. We get enough people to sign up for this $100 tier. First of all, Mike and I are doing an audio retrospective series on the Yamaha Cup. We're breaking down every bit of footage that's available. Second of all, I'm going to break edge and get high as shit and watch this Ethan Carter III promotion. I can't fathom sitting down and watching this. It sounds so bad. I have absolutely no patience for ec3 anymore look he seems like a funny guy i'd love to hang out with him i hate i hate i hate what he's doing in wrestling right now Uh, oh (laughs) that's that's like it it reminds me of like beyond secret shows but instead of being really perverted it's just trying too hard
2: oh oh yeah no no, it's it's trying very hard it is people who have read a whole lot of chuck palahniuk and that's it and it is just kind of insane. Bill Carr is kind of the ace of the promotion. It's really oh, funny. Oh, thank to me. God!
1: Oh, when I think ace of the promotion, I think fucking Bill Carr. Detective, you, you think detective? <laughs> you
2: think detective Bill Carr? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Want, no, no,
1: not. Is Dan Barry working there? Because I I will cancel no. this one hundred dollar tier. I will not watch Dan Barry wrestle a match. I do not care. No. I I he has such go away heat with me. I cannot stand watching him wrestle.
2: They basically had Paro murder uh, Gentleman Jervis, though. So I mean, y you, you have to you have to take what, what the essential character as he's referred to, and the uh, and the free the narrative shows are. You just have to face it. it it's insane. Like there's a rumor that it's all like crypto based, and you know. It's, <laughs> it's i fucking hope so <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. it's one of those things that that one like i heard that rumor i was like yeah of course like it has to be it has to be but that's what i've been watching i cannot recommend it unless you are of a certain <laughs> mindset or if you're someone who imbibes but for me i have a broken brain i have bad brains so i very much amused it was amused by it and that's the and that's the non-dragon system wrestling i've been watching lately case
1: well, look, if you want to watch something good, it's on YouTube. Uh, Pero Guayo versus Sangre Chicana. This is from February 28th, 1986. It's about a half hour match, two out of three falls hair match. It, I I can't believe I liked a an 80s lucha match. They didn't have Santo, Casas, or Hamada in it this much. But I, I am now starting to look at Pero as he's a luchador that I can watch in any environment and will enjoy. And that's a pretty big hurdle for me to overcome. Oh uh, yeah! Again, it's kind of it's kind of Casas Santo, and if we count Hamada, then Hamada in that ballpark. But Pero Senior, I I am blown away by him lately. So again, if you need a palate cleanser after all of the Dragon Gate shows that are coming up, I would turn to '80s Lucha, which is the first and only time I'll ever say that. <laughs>
2: I mean, it's something UWA is like one of the promotions I wish I could find all the footage of because it's just fascinating to me, especially Los Misioneros de Muerte versus Los Brazos. Like that's the stuff that's incredibly interesting to me. I was just looking at
1: uh, real quick. I was just looking at Santo Senior's cage match and just trying to figure out when he stopped working, kind of what his deal was. His Mm -hmm. second to last match, the original Santo, he's teaming with Gran Hamada in the UWA. And I I don't think that match is on tape, but... God, I would love to see that.
2: That would be fascinating. That would be fascinating. So, Dragon Gate case.
1: (laughs) (laughs) This promotion that we love, it was particularly good this past week. Now we can get into it.
2: Yeah, so uh, there are two shows that we're going to be covering today. The October 7th Cork and Hall show will be up on the Dragon Gate Network through the 14th with English commentary. And then we will be also covering the Kyoto KBS Hall show from the 9th. That'll be up on the network through... The 16th, no English commentary, single cam, how things are outside of Tokyo and big shows. But starting off, uh Cork and Hall, this was a show that like when we were running down the card, we're like, well, the five, the the all-out war is going to be something. And then we were kind of picking and choosing the rest of the show. Uh, just off the top, like, like was there, in my opinion, stuff on the intercard that was truly exceptional? I don't think so, but was it one of like one of the more fun cork and halls they've had pretty much since COVID? Yes, very much so. And there's a lot. I thought there was a lot of very good stuff here that was uh, finished with one of like one of the things only like, Dragon Gate can do: a new, innovative kind of match series that came across like heated. It came across awesome, and now I want to see more all out wars. I know you have your written review up at Voices of Wrestling Case, but what were your? off the top uh thoughts about the show
1: it's the second best cork and hall show they've had this year and this is a point that i've i've really started to make a lot and i kind of noticed this around may or june where i I started looking at my reviews and i was going huh drinking hasn't really delivered in cork and hall this year which is crazy because even you know when the promotion was in pretty rough shape in 2017 2018 parts of 2019 it was the Kobe Sambo Halls, the Kyoto's, and the Fukuoka's that weren't necessarily up to snuff, but you could always kind of count on Cork and Hall to, to give you one or two great matches, four-plus star matches. And this year, they've struggled in this building. Now, I think a part, part of that is just the atmosphere in Corken and Hall is just not the same. It's that way for every promotion, we don't need to go over that because hopefully we're, we're in the process of moving out of, of the crowd situation that has plagued Japan for nearly two years now. Also, because of the state of emergencies, the curfews they've had on this show. I mean, you know, February's February Cork and Hall, there was a three minute main event. It was a minute long match that ended a DQ and then a tag match that went two minutes and ended in a in a fuck finish. It was just it was horrible. I mean, I I really did not like the direction that these shows were heading. July's Cork and Hall show which had an excellent R.E.D. versus Natural Vibes opener. It had Minora versus Mochizuki. It had Yoshino's final match in Cork and Hall uh, teaming with Doi and Sachi that was very good. The Yamato versus Kai No Ropes Lumberjack match. That show was excellent. I love that show. I don't think the October outing was quite as good, but as I go through my reviews for the rest of this year for the stuff they were doing in Tokyo, this is the second best show they've had. I really, really like this show.
2: Yeah, this was just a very pleasant watch, and I mean, it finished with a really hot, innovative main event, and it's one of those things that, given, yeah, the state of emergency, if it has not expired in Japan, of course it's done by prefecture, but it seems like they're all going to lapse, and then they're going to we're going to be moving forward, it seems like it's going to be something that towards the end of the year and into 2022, things will be moving into the new normal, but this was just like a show that I mean a lot that I think one of the things that got me about Corkins this year was it's not just like the, the curfew really hampers them. It just felt like that they didn't move things forward. And it felt like it was like, okay, one thing happened. And then like the other two hours were just like standard matches that all were well, like, not for many bad matches, but it's just all kind of like samey this show. I'm right now looking at the results and there's stuff going on in each and every match coming out of this and it was something that other than like match two to be honest but it was something that like everything was hot and everything was moving things forward and something that I felt like that this was a company that was spinning its wheels for a lot of earlier this year and a lot of that was due to injury a lot of that was because they were holding off on doing big things until the Masato Yoshino's retirement and now it feels like we do have a path forward, and, and it's something that really kind of gave them a big jolt of energy at a time where I felt like they kind of desperately needed.
1: Absolutely. There was, there was a lot to like on this show. Even Match 2, you have long-term storytelling forming between Masaki Mochizuki, Don Fuji, and Kendo Kashin as Don Fuji used the bottle opener that Kashin used on a recent Noah show. Hopefully, as the Drangate Noah relationship grows, hopefully this is the only time that we have to mention Kendo in this discussion. If he comes up again, something has gone horribly, <laughs> horribly wrong, and we will be questioning whether or not we want to do this podcast going forward. But like you said, there's, there's just a ton of stuff on this show that not only bleeds into the future, but you know, continued as we moved into Kyoto this past weekend where... You know, was that a great show? No, that wasn't a show where I had any great, quote unquote, great matches. But still, that was such a breezy watch. That was such an enjoyable show, and it seems like coming out of this Corken Hall, there's some real momentum here. So I'm, I'm a big fan of, of what took place.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. So running down the card, the opener was Natural Vibes of Ut and Funky Jackie Kamei versus High Ends Dragon Kid and Kakatora. Funky Jackie Kame got the win with the Jackie knife, jackknife pen in nine minutes and 56 seconds on Kai Katora. And let's hear it for the boy. Like, after a pretty rough, like, out of the gates for him with the uh, Funky Jackie Kame character, he has really come along in all facets in, of his game, in my opinion.
1: We are going to be talking a lot about Kame on this show. Part of my thoughts I will save as we get into Kyoto and previewing the weekend ahead, but. He showed exactly what his role should be here. He and Kagatora wrestled each other down the finishing stretch of this match. Kamei kicked out of a crazy, modified Michinoku driver, one of those very kagatora specific moves where if anybody else tried to do it the way he did, I think they would hurt not only their opponent, but also themselves, but Kagatora figures out a way to do it. Kamei kicked out of that. He scored a bunch of close flash pin near falls, and then eventually got Kagatora with his signature flash pin, that Jackie knife. He looked confident. He looks comfortable. Any reservations I had about Kame in this new character in this unit uh, that I had in the spring, entering the summer months, that is all gone now. He is back at the fun loving, uh, where where it looks like he's having fun in the ring level that he was in in 2020. He's crushing it here, and I think things are only going to get better for him.
2: And, and it's something where like he's added, like le- like his knee was attacked pretty strongly in this match and he sold it incredibly well and it's something that like his version of the corkscrew kick leading into as like a big move like that's something that they could really build upon as like a secondary finish they want to it, it's one of the better pele corkscrew kicks that you'll see and it's just something that given like how things are and given like we've talked a lot about uh Drengate future on this show but like he is someone that you know, he could have got lost in the shuffle, but it, I'm very glad to see him stick out and, you know, take that next foot forward. I mean, it, I had this as a three and a quarter star or 10 minute opener. Like, this was a blast to me.
1: I was at the same rating as you. That's always a win. Uh, again, I would love to know just internally from Gate if they are positioning matches like this in the opener now because it is the free match that is on YouTube in both Japanese and English commentary, and slotting a match like uh, match number two, that eight-man tag that didn't have any stars in it, didn't have really any story attached to it, if they are purposely making that match number two instead of the opening match now.
2: Absolutely. So, getting into match number two, eight-man tag team match, Don Fuji with Kanuka Shen's ball opener, teaming with Sachi Hoko Boy, Yosuke Samaria, and the next action hero, Ho-Ho Lun, Versus Gamma, Pro- Problem Dragon, Punch Tomonaga, and Strong Machine J. The finish was Yosuke San Maria hitting the Nera Luchi on Punch Tomonaga in 6 minutes and 51 seconds. And, uh, I mean, we say there's not a lot of story there. There was a bit of story where uh, Gamma, Don Fuji, and Strong Machine J were all just, like, looking at each other, uh, like, quizzically during the match. And, of course, Don Fuji just wanting to, like, hit people in the throat with a, with a ball opener. It was great.
1: Even this served a purpose to a degree because they've heated up Maria a little bit going into this Bravegate battle Royal that's coming up uh, in Kobe this weekend, which i I guess if if you're unaware, Kame Maria, as well as Kagatora, UT, Jason Lee, Punch Tamanaga, and Sachi Hoko Boy are in this open, the Brave Gate Battle Royal, to determine the next number one contender for SP Kento. I mentioned it last week that Maria was looking much stronger than she had in months, if not a, a full year at this point, in a way to build her up for this Battle Royal. She scored the fall here, so once again, uh, certainly by no means a spectacular match, but an effective one in match number two.
2: Yep, didn't overstay its welcome, which is a problem with a lot of people in this match that if it overstayed its welcome, things were going to get bad. Uh, match three, we had an unaffiliated uh, veteran team of Masaki Mochizuki, Kanichiro Arai, and suchi Kondo versus the Natural Vibes team of Susumi Yokosuka and King Shimizu, the Open the Twin Gate champions, with Ginky Horiguchi with King Shimizu winning on Arai with the aided King Press in nine minutes and nine seconds. And you know... The the big story about this match to me was we finally really got the true Suji Kondo versus Shimizu face-off that I feel like that I've been wanting ever since Kondo reappeared last July.
1: God, I, I really like this. I just thought all six guys, and, I, and I've been very critical of Horiguchi lately because I do think he's showing his age and I do think he's slowing down to a degree. But even Horiguchi brought it in this match. This was really, really fun. I think especially... The elder statesman here, that Arakan, Mochizuki, Kondo trio. I don't know what context they'd be able to team in again. Right now, they're all obviously unaffiliated. So, it, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing to shove them back out there as a trio. That's a fun combination of guys because Arkin is really able at that point to pick his spots. And I thought he did that very well in the smash, both offense uh, and in what he sold down the finishing stretch. Obviously, he was taking the fall here. I thought he was used to an incredibly effective degree, and then you have Mochizuki being Mochizuki, and then Kondo, who really showed off the versatility of his game, versatility rather, of his game. He's such an interesting wrestler who, maybe not, you know, we talk about the Greatest Wrestler Ever project all the time, he's probably not a guy we need to evaluate for that, but I do think he just has one of the most interesting careers of anybody of the past 20 years, where you have to remember, he comes from the T2P class, and every once in a while, I've seen it more and more lately, where he's starting to do some grappling stuff that I really feel like he abandoned in All Japan and Wrestle 1, and it seems like like he's bringing that back into the fold to a to a small degree, but to one that's noticeable. And then in the same match where he's he's giving a shout-out, if you will, to his T2P background, he's also slamming and banging into, into King Shimizu, and that is just a ton of fun.
2: Yeah, and it's something that, like, American, like, he's only doing Tokyo shows, really, it seems, but whenever he comes in here, like, it, it's something that, like, yeah, he's 50, if not uh, over 50 at this point. He adds, like, a different element to, like, these matches. Like, he's not put into, like, huge situations, and he shouldn't be. I mean, he's not a full-timer. And he just like adds a little bit, uh, and this was something that Jay really brought up on commentary that I thought was pretty salient. Was like this is a guy that that has been surviving on the micro indies. His current title that he brought out to the ring is a fucking flag. What like this is a guy who is 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 clawing and you know doing all of that to get to like survive and. He's adding like this roughhouse element to it that I think adds a lot to like this proposed like veterans trio. Cause you have Mochizuki who I mean, this guy's nearly 52. He's insane. Uh, suji Kondo who I mean, I like the fact that he's gone and doing some grapple grappling. It's probably a little bit easier on his old ankle considering where he's coming back from. And it just adds that nice element there. And of course like the natural vibes trio. I mean, you, you put these three guys in the ring, even with Ginky where he's at and you just have a fun nine minute match there's like nothing much there not to love
1: it's amazing that kondo given his size given his age and given his profession that he is moving around as well as he is given the fact that he partially tore his achilles earlier this year you would have no idea that's the case just from watching a match like this because i really thought he was on his a game here
2: yeah no it's something that that i'm constantly like kind of keeping an eye on just because like I mean, he's not a young guy. And, I mean, he's not a small guy. And, you know, whenever you you see, like, ankle injuries and, like, especially Achilles injuries with someone of that size, you wonder about, like, oh, is this going to really affect them long-term? And it seems like that it's not as much, and he's working smarter. And it's something that, you know, as much as Chuchi Kondo and his promotion as we can get, I will be a happy camper. So that's really great. But, Case, we got to talk about this post-match here because when we talk about, like, this was just, like, one of the more exciting cork and hall show i never thought that seeing kenzo suzuki back in a dragon gate ring would would bring me so much joy because just how insane this was
1: did you did you like this angle because we haven't talked about this show at all i have no idea what you thought of this I, i would like you to go first and kind of run down your thoughts on this
2: Yeah, so Kenso Suzuki comes out, he has on like this military coat, a beanie hat and sunglasses. He rips all that off and he's just standing around and I guess in his ring gear without a shirt on. He's someone that hey, he hasn't had a match since 2019 and it shows. I'm just gonna say that nicely. <laughs> I think that's a nice way to put it, case. And well, he had
1: a healthy, healthy quarantine. My man was getting eating
2: comfortable. Well, <laughs> eating <laughs> well. And uh he immediately like played to the crowd like a crazy person. Most of the crowd's going like, all right, what is this person here? Which for me amuses me greatly whenever like this stuff happens where it's like, oh, this is like an established star of some run-out. I mean it's Kenzo Suzuki. It's not it, 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 this is not like somehow giant baba came back from the grave and appeared in the ring here and it just like it hit the the way he was on the way that he was on the microphone like addressing natural vibes saying hey i hey the next twin gate champions i know who the next twin gate champions are and Brit- with the I, I you will be seeing the next twin gate challengers in kyoto and It just was so bizarre and like the only one that he knew of natural vibes was susumi Yokosuka, and shimizu was just completely like both corpsing and playing, like how does he not know me very, very well? And he slapped Ginky horaguchi and he left. Just tremendous stuff. Like it amused me. Like, is this like one of those like all time wrestling segments? No, not at all. Was it profoundly weird at the time? Especially as someone who did not watch this live and caught this later after I knew what was gonna happen in Kyoto. Was it weird? Incredibly weird. Did I enjoy it immensely?
1: I thought this angle was awesome. Now, I have a question for you before I, I get into my thoughts here. How would you describe, I guess, I guess from a kayfabe perspective, what Suzuki's role is? Would you say he's like a hired gun by the Amazon show director?
2: I, I, I think he's uh, uh, I think he's in the pocket of Big Sponge. I think he's <laughs> in the pocket of Big Sponge.
1: That is, of course, the unit that we neglected to build last week is who is Big Sponge bringing in? (laughs) I I guess I I just logically I'm trying to figure out like, okay, I I love that he's here in this role. He doesn't need to wrestle. Let's pray to 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 whatever you believe in that he doesn't step foot inside the ring in in a bell to bell capacity. I love that he's essentially a hired gun for Amazon who is bringing in these pro wrestling Noah guys, which we'll talk about when we get to Kyoto. But this angle in Tokyo specifically, he comes out. And if you haven't, if you watch the show, but didn't watch the English commentary version, really go back and watch the natural vibes versus veteran six man, because one Ho-Ho Loon uh, crawls up to the balcony during this match, gets on the headset, is breathing super heavy and goes, Oh, what did I miss which is just funny because it's so balloon. I don't know how to describe <laughs> it, but it was very funny. And then Kenzo Suzuki comes out and and Jay does such an amazing job on commentary all the time of walking us through this translating things in real time, making sure we know the history of, of what could happen and narrating what is happening. We've known Jay for a long time. We talked to him, you know, somewhat often. He's not the most expressive man in the world. Even when he's commentating, he's pretty even keel. It sounded, at least to me... Like, there was a genuine amount of fear in Jay's voice of, oh, my God, what is Kenzo Suzuki doing in the impact zone, basically? He sold it very
2: well because it was because he naturally probably didn't know what it was. He was like, what the fuck's happening
1: here? I want to make it very clear. It was genuinely enjoyable, like, not from an ironic perspective. Like, I thought he killed this call. He wasn't sure if Kenzo was wrestling or if he was bringing guys in. He was a little confused, which added it added to the angle. If it was somebody else, maybe it would detract, but it was Kenzo Suzuki showing up in Gate. Everybody was confused, and the English commentary reflected that, which I thought was great. He makes fun of Shimizu not knowing who he is. He gives his respect to Susumi Yokosuka because he's Susumu Yokosuka. And then Kenzo Suzuki slapped the shit out of Genki Horiguchi. I thought this angle was a no-doubt home run. I I don't say this facetiously. I don't say this ironically. I thought this was a great angle, and I'm glad that uh, who is being brought in is being brought in, because at least for me, that delivers on my expectations. Those are two guys that I'm really excited to see in the Dragon Gate ring. I'm so glad that what was teased ended up being delivered, because I would have hated for this Kenzo Suzuki angle to go to waste, and luckily it's not in the follow-up.
2: Yeah, no, and of course, like picking the right person to slap the crap out of, like Inky Horaguchi, you'd know, you know you're going to get the like the right like facial expression and selling out of it. Just
1: he paintbrushed him; he <laughs> obliterated Genki. Was, I mean? I was so taken aback by it. Uh, real quick, it would not be the open the voice gate podcast if we didn't do some cage match diving here, real quick. So, for anybody that doesn't know, Kenzo Suzuki has wrestled for Dragon Gate before. If I have this correct, he was basically a- an assistant for Muscle Outlaws. How would you describe his role within that unit?
2: Hired gun. Hired, Hired gun. gun.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So he wrestled four matches. There's a six-man tag at a Cork and Hall show. Shima, Dren, Kid and Rio Saito versus Kenzo, Horiguchi, and Kanda. That match ended in a DQ. I have not seen that match. Uh, on one Hakata Star Lane show, he wrestled two matches. He wrestled Kenichiro, Ryan in a singles match, and he won that. And then the main event of that show was an eight-man tag with Gamma, Magnitude Kishiwata, Yasushi Kanda, and Kenzo Suzuki versus BB Hulk, Cyber Kong, Yamato, and El Generico, which is a match that I desperately need to track down. And then he ended his Dragon Gate run uh, in in a uh, very, very long very exhausting 13 minute match against dragon kid at the gate of destiny 2007 pay-per-view so he has history in this promotion uh and it's in in a weird way it's really exciting to see him back because i like i said i thought he crushed this angle
2: yeah if he wants to be the producer and being like producing whatever like heel unit comes next i think that would rule Like honestly, like it has he has like a certain energy that very much works like very oblivious to the world, jumping up on the on the turnbuckles, posing to the crowd who's just like politely clapping. Just amazing stuff. Home run, home run across the board.
1: It it fits in the same way that Ky Wakamatsu fit for the strong machines. Now I I do think Wakamatsu by the end overstayed his welcome, and really I think that entire unit did. I don't want to see Kenzo every week. I don't want to see Kenzo every show. Him popping in every once in a while. There is a delightfully chaotic energy there that at least for now I'm okay with.
2: Absolutely. Then we had a tag team match. It was the large adult sons. It was the Hashi brothers, Riki and Ishin, going against new generation Doi Yoshi, Naruki Doi Nozu and Takashi Yoshida. Yoshida submitted Ishin with a Boston Crab in nine minutes in case. We, these kids, I shouldn't... These large adult sons just really got the crap kicked out of them. They dished it back. It was just a blast of nine minutes. I absolutely adore this.
1: This is at this point in his career, the best role for Takashi Yoshida, because sometimes he has that awkward thing where he's a big guy. And and I don't know if it's because he unfortunately has a history of injuring some guys I don't know if it's just because he's so much bigger than everyone else on the roster, but he's a big guy who works really soft sometimes. And this was nice because it seemed like he was given free reign to just pummel both of the Ahashi brothers. And, and he took that role and he did it. Well, him finishing one of the Ahashis with a Boston crab was just, it was cool to see. It reminded me of the viciousness that Yoshida can bring to the table. Now I'm not necessarily looking for him to be pushed in any sort of capacity outside of maybe, Masaki Mochizuki's tag team partner, but it's nice to see him have a role and to be useful and to have a Yoshida match where I don't roll my eyes at some point because I thought he was very good here.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Naruki Doi and him, they, they made the jokes about them being the new Doi Yoshi and and Yoshida doing the pec flex, which was, like, a nice little funny thing here, but I like the role that, like, Naruki Doi as well just... It, it it was a nice reminder of oh Naruki Doi is one of the most tremendous heels in this company when like you think about the roles he's been in and just like the way that him and Riki just teed off on each other and then his nasty uh camel clutch that he did both here and in Kyoto just nasty like really wrenching back and you know it's it's like exactly the kind of stuff the hashi brothers should be doing the hashi brothers still come off like absolute stars they the their the ring the work in the ring you know fits to where they are and they don't look like they're out of step here and it just was a it, it, there's a few things in dragon gate that i love more than veterans versus rookies matches and was this as good as 12-1 2016 no but was this a match that I'm like, okay, hell yeah, this match. I'm glad this match happened. I'm glad this match got nine minutes. Absolutely.
1: I need you to check me here, Mike, because I, I've talked about in recent weeks how I think at this point, young Dragon Gate wrestlers just as a concept is my favorite thing in wrestling, where it seems like at this point they they have fine-tuned their debuts to such a degree that they all come out of the gates hot And then most of them seemingly go through a sophomore slump, and it's whether or not they can survive that that is interesting. We're still very much in phase one of the Hashi brothers' career. I'm loving everything that they're doing. I'm excited for all of their matches. I'm going to ask you a question. You can answer it in two parts. One, whether it's fair, and two, whether or not you agree with it. In my written review over at VoicesOfWrestling.com, I compared Ricky Ihashi's charisma to that of an El Generico or a prime Daisuke Sakamoto. Is that fair? And do you agree with it?
2: I really see the El Generico part to it. Uh, Daisuke Sakamoto, I can't, you know me yeah, you're Jake the wrong Japan. guy to
1: ask you you are you are i gotta get i gotta get 4l on the phone to ask him that question that's my bad right but do you see the el generico comp to some degree
2: oh absolutely absolutely and he's someone like the the surprising thing about him like, like he, he's tremendous selling he he's going to get like some crazy crowd calls at the tail end of this year when when we're allowed to have uh fans uh vocally emote but it's he, he's he got something that you can't teach there like i absolutely agree with you on this and one other thing heavy hands he has heavy hands the chops that he dishes out sound brutal
1: yeah oh my god i mean he's got that it's it's i love and this is in the the dorkiest part of wrestling analysis that there can be but I do love when guys start to develop their own chop. Obviously, Yoshino had the wicked overhand baseball throw. You've got guys like Fuji that go for the throat. And Ricky Hashi already has a very signature chop to him. Uh, it could fit on a t-shirt like Ken Griffey Jr. swingman logo. Now that I say it out loud, I would like to see that shirt designed. If anybody wants to make that, please let me know. I will buy one. It's very unique. It speaks to him. Obviously, Ishin is great. I, I, he's, I mean, he's really blown me away doing a more, uh, for lack of a better term, flamboyant gimmick, given just the, the bull and china shop sort of vibe that he gives off, both in his look and the way he wrestled as a, as a future prospect. Now he just has all this flamboyant charisma that is so shocking to see. But then you have Ricky, who I, I am just absolutely in love with. He, he is not only jumping off the screen, he is crashing through my television set and, and forcing me. To watch all of these matches with my utmost full undivided attention, because I think he is as bright of a prospect as Dragon Gate has other than Sp Kento. And, yeah, and, and it, because and because of his background, he is a brighter prospect than Sp Kento.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think this guy has eaten a carb in like fifteen years. Like, look at those abs. Look at those abs. Look, look, like this is someone tailor made for what the Dragon System and their fan base really wants here. And it, it's one of those things that with how sometimes how just fine aggressively fine a dragon gate undercar can be whenever whenever i I hear the intro of the hashi brothers i perk up i would get in a hashi brothers t-shirt immediately make sure you include a pink boa in the fan there because as you are a Riki guy i'm an ishan guy i think ishan it's something that like in this promotion i think him being like a little bit bigger the bull in the china shop Thing I think that he's someone that like the the big boys in the dragon system. They've really started to come along. We're starting to get some more of them here, and I think he's another great person
1: to add to that lineup. Summer Adventure Hoss League. It will be my final contribution to this uh, to this discussion. We pitched a few months ago. Summer Adventure Technique League, which I am thinking about constantly. I want that to be a thing (laughs) so bad. If we can't do, uh, uh, well, for lack of a better term, Yave flying helico over then let's do the hosses
2: we don't need to fly into helico over we don't need to
1: (laughs) look he's boys with ultimo that is closer to happening than you think
2: yeah i know i know and uh, i i i I will opine about what being a good yaveo and what being a bad yaveo is on a different show because and helico falls into that ladder camp semi main event, six-man tag, high-end versus R.E.D. Yamato and Benske of Benke and Keisuke Akuta versus the R.E.D. team of B.B. Hulk, Kai, and Hio. B.B. Hulk won with two first flashes on Yamato, clean in the middle of the ring in 13:33 post-match. Yamato got really angry about this and was like, oh, we're, oh, we're, oh this is happening, this is happening, and Hulk wanted no part of it. But that would be resolved by the time we got out of Kyoto, but... Let's talk about Hyo trying to antagonize Keisuke Akuta, and this is a guy, he did not have a very good cork and Hall show, I would say. You know, in-ring, in-character, rough night for the Black Panther.
1: No, he reminds me of my job. He's the youngest one there with the biggest mouth. And, and every once in a while, you, you find yourself on a hot streak and then something, you know, goes horribly wrong. And all of a sudden, you're really questioning your worth. All of a sudden, you're going, oh, maybe maybe I should have stayed quiet. This was a bad idea. Look, we obviously all wanted Kaisuke Akuda's Risen fight to go better than it did. It was a first round TKO in about 90 seconds for those that did not see that and my main man Hyo, he stepped right up to the plate, and he said he was going to knock Okuda out in this match as well. Unfortunately, that did not happen, but I was very entertained by the pre-match promo that he gave this time around.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and then, you know, the rest of the match, I I felt like this was okay. Like, this was not a bad semi-main event. It just was something that we got a lot of Hulk and Yamato preview. Hulk and Yamato, they they managed to pull it off once. I'm not confident about it happening in 2021 but it was all i thought it was all aggressively fine to be quite honest
1: yeah i guess i can give my hulk and yamato thoughts now because this match and the match in kyoto were basically the same match i mean different guys run it but they accomplished the same goal there's two points i want to make about hulk versus yamato one their chemistry has been all right like it is very clear that there is a good match uh within these two's capabilities given their age and injury history but even even in the 2021 context there's something here that i'm i'm on board with do i think it's a 20-minute dreamgate match no i don't i kind of think it's like a tag match that over delivers on a fukuoka show but we'll, we'll deal with it it's gonna headline one of the biggest shows of the year i have to get used to it the thing about the build and why it's really hard for me to come on here. I can't I can't rip this apart. Look, I, I am uncomfortable at the idea of B.B. Hulk challenging for the Dreamgate belt, not because I'm the safety police, but just because I don't know what that's going to look like. And in a company where it feels like there's so much momentum with your 30 and under crowd, it's really weird to me that Hulk is now getting a Dreamgate shot. I get it. There's a generational story there they want to tell. It's, it's not what I would do. But... Hulk dominating Yamato and, quite frankly, kicking his ass the way that he is, is a far more cohesive story than your Benkei-Mochizuki-Kai triangle that turned into Minoru sneaking in and getting the victory. Objectively, Hulk versus Yamato has been a better story with a better build. Is it the story that I want to see? No. I wish they weren't exerting energy building to this match. But I was much more upset, much more uncomfortable with the Dreamgate scenario heading into Dangerous Gate than I am right now heading into Gate of Destiny.
2: Yeah, no, the story here, I think there's no issues with the story they're telling right here. It's just, you know, I've already talked about my misgivings here, and we'll see. We'll see if I'm proven wrong. I mean, they managed to have an excellent Dreamgate match in the past, but that was also pre Hulk breaking his neck. But we'll we'll see about this. And, and I think Hulk does, in a way, like. We're at a point with like the big six, and especially the Dragon Gate Trueborns, that these two guys are the ones left. Like Shingo Takagi is not walking through that door. If Akira says I was walking through that door, then you know I'll be happy. But that also means something else happened, to be quite honest. So I mean, this is the generational view. These are the the survivors of the big six, along with Naruki Doi, who they've clearly kind of positioned out of that kind of role at the moment. So I mean, you do have to run with it. And you want to run with it while. Hulk is reasonably in good shape, and while Yamato is still like the ace and still has—I mean, he's turning forty, but still like relatively young.
1: Yeah. All yeah. Right. It's 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 bizarre. I don't know what to make of this Dreamgate angle because again, I'm I'm so outwardly against it, and I think it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting when the previews for Gate of Destiny start rolling out, which will largely be on this website in a few different forms. I again the build's been fine and i think people parachuting in that haven't watched this show they're not going to watch kobe they're not going to watch kyoto are going to uh, shit on the match in a way that i don't necessarily disagree with their larger point but i'm going to disagree with the way they're making it because the build of this has been fine it's just again it's hulk versus yamato i can see why maybe it doesn't register people's excitement scales and myself included to a large degree
2: no that that's all entirely fair then we got into the main event. This was the Masquerade versus R.E.D. All Out War 5 single match series. The way that this worked was at the start of the show, uh, GM Ryo Saito handed Hio and I guess Koda Minora was the uh, designated captain of the other team. Uh, they handed him basically slips of paper that had everyone's names. And before each match, the both sides would submit names. We wouldn't know who it was until until ring announcer Kikuchi Pulled out this and said, All right, we have X versus X here. And then from there, the match. And this is something that, like, it is five separate matches, but like, you in your review handled it probably the best way, where it is kind of one giant match. So, like, the first people are up, then the second people are up, the third people are up, the fourth people up, and then you have the remaining combination there, and you change who's going to be going in each time. And I thought that was a really fascinating match concept and something that i feel like that there's a lot of water in this well it's not gone dry like if they want to do like this if it's something that like red versus natural vibes red versus high end like this is something that i think has legs
1: yeah, I loved the format of this. It Just the simplicity of delivering the paper to Saito and, and neither unit knowing who was coming next for the other side was a super, super interesting way to go about this. And I thought the execution, at least, you know, we'll see if they do it in the future, if they can top this. But from what I saw, I thought the execution of this match was flawless.
2: Absolutely. So the matches were... Uh, Scott, Shun Skywalker versus Die Inferno. Shun won in six minutes with the SSW. La Australia versus SB Kento. SB Kento won in just under four minutes with the SB Shooter. Uh, Dragon Dia versus Diamante for match three. This was Diamante winning with the Volta Finale in eight minutes, 30. So that put RED at 2-1 going into the last two matches, of which it was Kota Minora versus Kaido Ishida. Kota Minora won with the Bobble Gear Flashpin in 10 minutes and 55 seconds, evening the, the side. So the rubber match was Jason Lee versus Ata. and Jason Lee got the win in 11 minutes and 47 seconds with a game of death after a misfire protein powder attack by Hio. So Masquerade wins the series three to two. And I just like talking about this as a whole, I liked how each match was distinct and different. You got Shin Skywalker doing his pedal to the floor. We had a very tight four minutes with uh Estrella and SB Kento. We had insane uh like display of both body control and like trust and diamante and dragon thaya that was excellent we had a limb focus match with uh, kaido Ishida, and then we had like a uh, underdog babyface versus big bad heel in the last match and i felt like that like making each of these matches distinct and separate i mean i did do star ratings for each match individually i know you went four and a quarter. In the review, and I would have to agree, like, as a whole, this was a win of a concept here.
1: Well, what, what was your star ratings on each individual match? I, I don't think you gave those yet. If I did, I apologize. I missed
2: No, on. I didn't. Uh, Shun versus Die Inferno, I gave that four. Uh, Australia versus Espikento. You went, hold
1: on, you went four on Shun versus Die Inferno.
2: Yeah, I loved it. I, I wow. liked how, All right? I liked how Shun Skywalker like was just completely like, playing into it and, and i mean these two guys like i know like of course they would have this chemistry but it was just was something that like the, the the whole like gross rip from the monkey flip like that had me stand up and shout it looked so brutal and nasty and i just thought this was really a whole lot of fun like for like a seven minute match this was as good as it got for me and then like Australia versus sp kento i mean that's three and a quarter but i mean it was decent for that uh Daya and Diamante. I think that actually was the best match of the series. I went four and a quarter on that one. And then the other two matches, I was three and three quarters.
1: That's very interesting. I, I would have gone four flat on Daya versus Diamante, and I would have flirted with four for Lee versus Ata the least favorite of the bunch for me. I did not love Ishida versus Minora. I was kind of let down by that. Actually, uh, if there was, if there was one pairing that didn't totally deliver for me, it was that one, but the rest of the guys carried their weight. And uh, let's, let's go through this fall by fall. If you want to, I know you kind of gave brief thoughts there. I don't know if you have anything else to say on, on Shun versus versus die Inferno, but if you do, then you have the floor.
2: Uh, no, I, I mean, th- that spot was the thing that was going to stick with the match. It just was absolutely nasty like
1: uh, (laughs) it's it played into a a side of Diane inferno that it was nice to see because i think given that gimmick given that look sometimes you expect him to be a little more vicious than he is and being in there with shun who is is basically going to give you a shoot monkey flip it brought out a side of inferno that a year into this gimmick it's it's nice to see that that was finally brought out of them
2: absolutely and then Australia versus sp kento i mean this is Australia's first uh, singles fall He's taken in the company. Uh, Jay brought up the fact that this is not a guy who has very many singles matches. I think his only other singles match was his debut match where he defeated Susumi Yokosuka. I thought this was, like, fitting, you know? I mean, it was something that, I mean, SBK... He didn't exactly run through him, but it was something that was like, no, SBK is the Brave Gate champion. He handled him pretty hand... Uh, like, comfortably there, and I felt like that that was the right call here.
1: SB Kento took Estrella down with a double leg at one point, and I... Wanted to stand up off my couch and applaud just because I forget that this guy also has an amateur wrestling background and given how charismatic he is, how good of a brawler he is, and how technically can be, he he just dropped down and and took Australia off of his feet so quickly, and I got so excited once again. There was something new for me to like about SP Kento. Every single month, I'm like, oh, he can also do this. It's not fair, Mike. He's just on another level, and if that wasn't good enough. Uh, To me, you know, he ended up tapping out Estrella with the SB shooter. The finish should have been him as Estrella went for like a springboard back handspring. SB Kento caught him and in one motion, hit a bridging German suplex. That should have been the finish because that was... I mean, that's what veterans do. That's that's just that's major league top notch stuff. And SP Kento killed it there. That was a very fun, uh, very short. Estrella was protected, not only in the way that he lost, but just in terms of the way the match was laid out. He was still very much protected. But given the four minute encounter that they had, it was one that I really liked.
2: Yeah. And then Daya versus Diamante. These are two guys that are made to wrestle each other. Like, it was something that, like, Diamante has not, ha, like, like we've sung his praises here, but, like, he is just at another level right now, and just, like, the stuff, like, catching uh, Daya, uh, Daya on, on that tope and powerbombing him on the apron, and then the insane uh catch where he caught Daya, and then Daya immediately jumped and did a K-Brada, that was the most insane thing I've seen in wrestling in a long time. And it just was insane. It was just fantastic and it's something that, you know, I mean, you you look at where Diamante came in as and you look at him now, where I think he's one of the top five bases in the in the world right now. I if I'm a if I'm a high flyer or a smaller wrestler, I want to wrestle Diamante. Like Dante Martin versus Diamante could be absolutely outstanding, right?
1: Oh, my God. I, I, look, I think I'm going to vote Diamante for most improved again. I think he's going to do the Miz where I voted for most improved two years in a row, unless there's somebody from AUW that I'm forgetting. And, and quite honestly, Dante Martin should probably be in consideration. But like I like I said in my review, like I've said on the show before, you know, Diamante went from someone who was in the running for one of the worst foreigners they had ever brought over he was Altimo's buddy. He was there to wrestle Altimo. And I I just thought he brought absolutely nothing to the table. And then once they reset the promotion, once they came back from their COVID, their empty arena break in July of last year, he slowly started putting the pieces together. And when we turned the counter over to 2021, it's like, hey, this this Diamante guy is kind of good. And Mike and I were were having discussions about it. You know, again, he was our most improved wrestler last year because by the end of the year, he was crushing it. And he has gone from, again, a guy that went from bad to good to a guy that has now gone from good to legitimately great. Again, one of the best bases in the world. He could go to Mexico. He could go to the U.S. Independence. He could stay in Japan, obviously do what he's doing. He is one of the best bases in the world. He was phenomenal in this match. He was vicious. He played off of Dragon Dia well. In Dragon Dia, you know, we talk all the time privately, Mike and I, about the... The story that that Jay told us where, or I think maybe it was Larry Dallas, where, you know, somebody showed Genki Horiguchi a gif of uh, El Hijo Del Vikingo, and Horiguchi was like, yeah, who cares? Dragon Diet can do all of that and more. And I hold on to that story because we see glimpses of it, uh, of just how special of a high-flyer Dragon Diet can be, and this was a rare match where I really think he got to show it off, because not only could he bump big like that apron power bomb that Mike mentioned— obviously the Cape Rana spot, which is in my review, where he just flies into the lights of Cork and Hall and hits this perfect moonsault to the floor. He did a spot in this match that I have never seen before. Maybe he's done it and I've just missed it. But Dragon basically did a springboard prawn hold, which guys have done in the corner. Like, I know Cassandro, the Exotico wrestler, she used to do that move uh, where you know if you know i I, it's self-explanatory it's like a prawn hold from the top rope but dragon die did a springboard version of and i just didn't think that was physically possible the way he contorted his body in midair absolutely blew my mind like i said this by itself was a four-star match this was the highlight of the all-out war uh props to both guys this this was really really good top level high flying
2: yeah this was really special uh I, I guess my argument, since I know you're a bit more down on match four, was I like the the way that Minora w- sold the knee attack, sold the ankle, and Ishida went back into it, and it played into the final stretch in a way that it was like, oh, he can't really g- get him up for the gong. The Ingranaje uh, just was not going to work so someone like Ishida. So then he was like, all right, time for me to roll around and get you in a flash pin. And that paid off very well, and it was like... It was a smart thing about how this series again was laid out that you had you had impact move, you had submission, you had impact move, you had a flash pen, and then you had another impact move to finish matches and I, I thought it was all very appropriate
1: yeah i have no I have no argument against that if, if there's one thing I can say about this match, it was absolutely effective in the way it was laid out. I knew the story they were trying to tell. Didn't necessarily enthrall me up until that finishing sequence where you started to see the big counters and the flash pins and eventually Menorah got the win there. But in terms of the structure of it, I have, I have no complaints.
2: And, like, talking about the structure about this, like, there was no interference in the first four matches at all. There was no R.E.D. shenanigans. Rio Saito said, no one steps in the ring other than the guys in the matches until you've had your matches. And, it, and that was kind of like a wink and a nod that, like, match five was going to be a shenanigan fest. And I felt like they played that off really well with, like, Jason Lee. And I, I know a couple of months ago, or maybe it was last year, talking about like, the Minoli Lee team, about, like, with, with where Jason is, like, that kind of was like his big moment for like this company, just because I don't foresee him winning a king of gate. I don't see him ever getting a dream key, but that the tag team run they had with Kota and Nora was truly something special here. This was his big one. He got the win over the guy here. And it was something that played off very, very well. It, it was something that after he hit the maximum driver and didn't get the fall, it's like, oh man, Ada is going to just start kicking him to death. But no, it, it was just Hyo's machinations came back to bite him here. And then Jason got him with his really cool uh kind of a Yoshi tonic flash pink kind of thing. Like, they, like the game of death kind of is a code red slash Yoshi tonic, but it's also kind of like a rolling uh, like a rolling prawn hold in a way but it was it was something that I thought like this was all really effective and it came off like a legit moment
1: that's exactly it by the end of this i think red successfully kicked off the tension of hyo and Ata, partially partially of Ata and the younger guys i think we're going to see more and more of that play out as we head into the end of the year they told the red story and it didn't dampen the impact of the fact that Jason Lee just pinned Ata in a singles match. And obviously on a on a fandom level, I'm crazy about this. I, I have said enough about Jason Lee on the show. I think he's the best junior in Japan. And he just pinned Ata in again, not a clean way, but in an effective way, where by the end of it, yes, you you know, it's great that he didn't just pin him uh, immediately from the powder with a schoolboy roll-up. He had his pinning maneuver that he used, his signature pin, the game of death and he pinned Aita from there. It felt a little bit more legitimate that way. This is a borderline four-star match. I, I mean, they they just went out there and killed it. I hope they have a rematch in King of Gate this upcoming year. I hope we get to see more Jason Lee big matches. Again, if it's if he ever challenges for the Dream Gate, it's probably going to be on a Gate Hong Kong show, which is something I would absolutely support. I think that would be a crazy atmosphere. I think that would be fun to watch. I don't think in Japan... Uh, he's going to get to that level not because of talent, but just because of some of the other obstacles thrown in his way. But I I cannot throw enough roses at him. I thought the structure of this match was terrific. This individual match here with A-10 Lee. Uh, again, what once uh once Aita kicked out of the maximum driver, I was like, oh boy, here we go. Like, or I uh, yeah, he kicked out of the maximum driver. I think if not, then he countered it uh, and hit him with a low blow. But I was like, oh, here we go. Aita's gonna win. Red's gonna reign supreme that's fine you know it would have been cool to see jason lee win and then lee continued to fight and he continued to fight and he continued to fight and he got that win and it, it really put this match over the top for me like i said uh, like mike said in my review i rated the entire thing as one match and ended up at four and a quarter with an red win it's probably just a four-star match but i loved the finish so much i was so surprised by the finish that i ended up going four and a quarter
2: I mean, he broke out a Canadian Destroyer that Jay lost his mind. It
1: was at. nuts! so was a crazy Canadian Destroyer. That's a move that's been done to death. It never pops me anymore. Jason Lee does it. I lost my mind. Jay lost his mind. It was absolutely terrific.
2: Yeah, and then in the post-match, uh, Ata was pissed at Hio. But uh, Dragon Dia grabbed the microphone and said, I'm done with this whole uh, Die Inferno thing. He almost doxed uh, Die Inferno. He almost uh, said who it was, but Sheen Skywalker had to pull him away. Cracked me up here. Maybe Masquerade are good mic workers. <laughs> but <laughs> that's uh, up for the uh, what they're saying is the final confrontation in November at and Dragon Dia versus Die Inferno. They say it's the final uh confrontation but i think everyone watching pretty much knows where this is going to go to but i'm stoked for it i'm glad they're going this direction finally and i thought that that was an incredibly appropriate way to end this very fun one of the best corkins they've had all year
1: yeah it's interesting you know that that next corkin hall show is going to be on friday november 5th so it is two days after gate of destiny. So it's not one of those where they can do kind of a non-finish there and then squeeze a, a mask versus mask match onto gate of destiny. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is the end of Inferno at this November Cork and maybe we don't get that mask versus mask match. Maybe in the eyes of Gate, it's not necessarily worth such a prestigious stipulation. I don't know. I don't know anything for certain, but I can certainly speculate on that, that, then maybe Daya just wins this match and then he chooses to unmask Daya Inferno and then we're off to the races with whether he stays in R.E.D., whether he wants to do his own thing, I think we'll find out very soon after that. But I- I'm in a mindset now where I wouldn't be totally shocked if November 5th is the the final time we see Daya Inferno.
2: I just think that they, w- they would want to mirror Dragon Kid and Darkness Dragon. Like like That's just a part of me that I just can't shake. Like I could totally see it. I could even see Inferno after losing this mask, ripping off it and being like, screw this, I'm going back to, or I am who I am, you know? Like, I can go both ways with this. I mean, they still do have another big show in November, though. And having a, an Apuestas match at Gate of Origin would not be a bad idea considering how those shows usually go. And you don't have to burn another title match if you burn that Apuestas match that seems like it's earned at this point
1: gate of origin is interesting i i kind of forgot that I was tucked away at the end of november now i certainly do not hate the idea of that headlining gate of origin i'm going to stick to my guns for now and say it, with the information i have now when we're recording this on october 12th i think november 5th is the last of what we see of die inferno but mike has my gears turning with the gate of origin mask versus mask match that would be very fun
2: i just like to you know i i like to ask if or what if? That that those are the kind of things I like to do, case. So any well, other big? You're possible? like
1: you're like you're, uh, Ethan Carter the third. You're asking the right questions. You're not letting them control the narrative.
2: Oh, oh no, I control my own narrative exactly. You know, you
1: have LED lights that signal what you're thinking. It's amazing.
2: I mean, mo- I, now you're getting me thinking about that show again, and we're. T-
1: <laughs> it's it's amazing that. You know, if you go back and and I'm not someone that loves a ton of comedy and wrestling, but the original NXT, whether it was intentional or not, I'm not sure. But there is a ton of comedy on those shows that I genuinely love. And if you go back to the season where Derek Bateman is the rookie and Daniel Bryan's his pro, those two are, are legitimately funny on that show. And you go, oh, my God, Derek Bateman's so underrated. How does WWE not do anything with this guy? And then you realize, no, that was actually the best run of his career and everything from there including his original <laughs> tna run sorry garrett Kidney. everything from there has been such a massive letdown he was actually perfect being a goofball and being Derek bateman and just and that being it
2: and he looks insane now like he went from he that he
1: really does
2: <laughs> anyways any other big Corkin thoughts before we move on to kyoto
1: go watch that main event this was a really good show if you don't have time for all of it go watch that main event
2: absolutely so Kyoto it was on the 9th it will be up on the network until the 16th very easy watch as you're saying it was something that I mean with because of these shows that include intermission and on the file and then you have like this you you can get through it in two hours and everything nothing really outstayed it's welcome in my opinion and you know we got the big directions going forward that we now know the, the 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 top two title matches are now set for Gate Destiny on the third coming out of this. And, you know, it just was something that it had a little bit of everything on this show. And I thought that that kind of was really effective. For sure. All right, getting into the opener, it was the high-end team of Dragon Kid with Bensuke, uh, Kiske, Akuda and Bensuke versus the unaffiliated veterans team of Masaki Mochizuki, Sushi Kondo, and Sachi Hoko Boy. Benkei got the win in 11 minutes and 8 seconds with the spear. Kays, what were your thoughts on this?
1: solid opener uh I, well i guess maybe i shouldn't say solid opener i liked the ben k versus sachi Hoko Boy stuff i i liked sachi Hoko Boy getting repeated near falls on ben k it was pretty fun it got kind of sloppy towards the end because it is after all sachi Hoko Boy and ben k and then beard ben k speared the shit out of them for the win a uh, fine opener i like when sachi gets uh gets some in-ring time so i did not hate this
2: yeah, no, that's pretty much mirrors my thoughts. I thought like that it's something that like Sachi is someone that he's never going to turn the clock back, but it's nice to see like he's a natural babyface and he's, he does well at being babyface in peril here. And I mean, I don't think Masaki Mochizuki tagged in more than once in this match. To be fair, the next day was that big Noah show, so I don't blame him. But yeah, no, this was mostly Benkei and Sachi Hoko Boy.
1: No, Mochizuki has to mentally prepare to completely outwork. Takashi Sugawara in a few weeks, which he's going to do, because there is not a wrestler that I I, I simultaneously like, but I'm also, I'm so burnt out by Sugawara, I find his presence to be absolutely exhausting, I have no desire to watch him wrestle, unless he's wrestling against Mochizuki, and... While I don't think Mochizuki's the favorite in that GHC national title match, I do think there's a chance that he can win. And I know at the very least, he is going to work circles around Sugawara. And so he's got to rest. He can't be wasting his time in six-man tags like this.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you're, te- when you're teaming with Sachi in match one, when you have a, when you have a big <laughs> match out of you, you- you're going to take it easy. I respect that. Like, what that. was he
1: going to do? Was he going to work twice as hard to make up for Sachi Hoko? Boy, no, he's going to work <laughs> half as hard and take the night off. Let's get this over with. He's got cast a pet.
2: Exactly, exactly. Uh, match two uh, was uh, natural vibes, ginky horiguchi, and UT going up against masquerade team. Minoli Lee was back, uh, Kota Minor and Jason Lee. Jason Lee got the win with a maximum driver in 10 minutes and 13 seconds. However, case before the match, before masquerade did their entrance, uh, Kenzo Suzuki came back out again and he said, Oh, yeah, uh, my guys aren't here yet, they'll be here by the end of the show. And slap the shit out of Genki Horiguchi, who sold it during the entire Masquerade entrance.
1: It's crazy they did this angle before the match. I, I, the match was fine. Jason Lee and UT, it, look, they had a great closing stretch. What would you expect from Jason Lee and UT? I just could not get over the fact that they, they kicked off this match with Kenzo Suzuki coming out. By definition, beating up Genki Horiguchi and then having Horiguchi wrestle a tag match against two of the youngest and best wrestlers on the roster. The way this was laid out was so, so weird to me. It,
2: it, it was very funny. It like My other like big match thought was that uh, it's something about how 15 months ago, this was the building that really signified that Kota Minora is a threat. And then it made me think about when I was watching this today. Okay, so it made me think, wow, over the last 15 months, Cody Manure might be one of the smoothest wrestlers in the world. Just like seeing, like, he's just something that, like, nothing ever looks bad. Everything looks awesome. He sells great. His All of his suplex look great. He has a wicked form. I'm like, damn, this kid might be one of the smoothest wrestlers in the world right now. That was, like, my big takeaway from this match. Other than I like Jason Lee's closing stretch where he does the leg kick, uh, super kick, and then maximum driver.
1: Yeah, I think Minora has has probably deserved that rep since his debut. Now, the interesting thing with him is that as as his matches have gotten more complicated and more longer, and he's been put in more high-pressure situations, that smoothness has stayed with him throughout. I think that's a super impressive part of his game. But ever since he got the gear, ever since his second or third month of the promotion, I don't remember. I don't remember any Kota Minora mistakes. I don't remember this guy falling flat on his face. Even having, you know, when when Kame had that really bad tag match. I think that was the June Cork and Hall show. Minora's never had that. He's always a guy that is just on, and he has been since his debut. And I've talked about it at length. He just he happened to debut in between Shun Skywalker and Ben. And you know, as it turns out, the class of twenty twenty, and so historically, he'll get lost in the shuffle. But he's he's as good as it gets. Yeah,
2: no, absolutely. It's something that it's just really nice to see, and especially the fact that this guy still three years in, not even twenty five, just insane stuff there. And I like the UT Jason Lee stuff here. That this was, if it wasn't for one other match, this probably was my favorite match on the show. Like everything on the show was either fine to very good. Like, that's what we're saying. This was a very pleasant watch. If that, uh, what did wh- you have this match at?
1: I had this match at a comfortable three stars.
2: Oh, I liked it a good bit more than you then, I guess. I, w- I was three and a half. I really enjoyed it. Real?
1: Okay, yeah. That's, uh, hey, I have no complaints there. I just thought it was a nice little match number two. Liked the finishing stretch a lot, but I am not going to argue with you about a three and a half star match number two because <laughs> I'm not going to get mad <laughs> at you for enjoying something.
2: Yeah, I-, I just like to have a good time
1: look, there's one thing you can say about Mike Spears. It's not that he's an anxious man. It's not that you can say that he's a short king. So Mike Spears likes to have a good time.
2: I'm just here for a good time, not necessarily a long time, but I just want to have a good time with the shows. So and the good time continued (laughs) in the next match. We nice almost cases. lost
1: you. We we almost lost you at those Kobe Sambo Hall shows a few years ago. You really almost put that uh, here for a good time not a long time to the test cuz you're like I'm not having a good time and I haven't been here for a long time. Maybe it's time we push the panic button. I'm glad you're here, Mike. The world is glad that you made it through.
2: Yeah, I mean, 2018 Sambo Hall shows are. Dire preposition there. Uh Match 3, uh RED and Masquerade, Shin Skywalker, Dragon Die and Australia. Eta Diamante and Die Inferno. Die Inferno won because Dragon Dia snapped and attacked referee Yagi in 12 minutes and 29 seconds. Uh, before like the closing stretch, I thought this was kind of the greatest hits, Masquerade versus Red. Everything was very good, and then Dragon Dia got pissed. And I have to say something that he's a very polite young man. I like seeing angry Dragon Dia, and I hope we get see more of it.
1: All right, I'm glad we're on the same page here. I wasn't sure how you were going to feel about this, but yeah, this was, you you know, this feud is one that it seemed like for a while. You know, we were talking at the beginning of the year like, okay, maybe they're going to wrap it up by Champion Gate, or maybe by Dead or Alive, and then it became well, certainly it'll be over at World, and then it's it's continued along, and I and I do wonder if the week by week analysis of this feud has maybe hindered our enjoyment of it a little bit just because you know quite frankly we've been wrong about most things when it comes to Dragon Dia and Dia Inferno I would have expected this escalation from Dragon Dia months ago I'm not yeah. necessarily I you know obviously he was injured at the start of the year which really threw things off and I think once he came back we thought that they were just going to rip the bandit off and be done with it they didn't they stayed the course and I love I love this side of him. I love this aggression. Normally, I'm not into DQ finishes, especially on these shows where it seems like it could be an easy out for Gate at times. But to me, this was not an easy out. This was a worthwhile DQ finish. I like the aggression. I like the edge from him.
2: Yeah, and the rest of the match, I mean, they did the face-offs you'd want to have in this match. Like, everyone... Did what you want them to do, what you expect them to do. Then you had the nice little spice at the end. Yeah, this was the thing about this feud that really kind of got me. Maybe it was because it was so start stop, but like the escalation never really was there until the last few months. Like they had that weird like Kobe World match. Remember, like they had that one match that was a Kobe World. It was a Final Gate, but they had that one match last year where it just felt very bizarre and had like the non finish there. It was like okay, maybe we're kicking this to the other gear. Then dia breaks his collarbone, Inferno's adrift, and then they just never really went back to it. But now the belts are off of Masquerade and full speed ahead, and they're escalating it how we w- would want it be escalated.
1: Yeah, I completely forgot about that. They did a five minute DQ finish at Kobe World last year with Inferno getting DQ'd. I just I completely forgot that happened, and that was why again, you know, he debuted at the October Cork last year, and then they booked that match, and we thought, well maybe this is it. And then it became, well, maybe it's going to be final gate. The Dia got hurt and he came back. We're like, well, maybe it's going to be dead or alive, or maybe it's going to be world 2021. And it hasn't happened. And, and now it seems to make sense. Now it seems like we're building to a natural conclusion with the, with the continued intensity and the, the new side of intensity that dragon Daya is showing. So I'm on board with it. You know, however, this feud finishes up, I think it's going to be an effective feud for both guys. It's just been very awkward getting to this point.
2: Absolutely, I think you're dead on about that. Match four, pre-intermission, Don Fuji and Naruki Doi versus the large adult sons, the Ahashi brothers. Naruki Doi submitted Ishin Ahashi with his brutal, gross camel clutch in 11 minutes and 30 seconds, and what I thought was the match of the night.
1: I liked one match more than this. Uh, I, I did not like this as much as the Fuji, was it Fuji and Kondo? Who did the Ahashi brothers wrestle last week?
2: It wasn't. It was Fuji and Kondo. I almost thought you said Kondo. And I was going to say no. That was Danger Skate. That was the <laughs> debut. No,
1: no no. Um, no, no. The the Fuji shuji Kondo match. I liked that one more because I went three and three quarters on that. I went three and a half on this. So much to like in this match. I I'm going to mention it until the end of time because I I have popped for it every single time they've done it. But the Ahashi brothers double octopus stretch spot is just great. It's just I've never. I don't think I've ever seen two wrestlers. You know, a tag team have a signature spot where they're doing an octopus hold. And it's awesome. It looks great every single time, and that seems like one of those deals as crowds are able to make more and more noise. I think that's something that we're going to see a bigger and bigger reaction for as time goes on. I also, and I I raved about Ricky Ihashi earlier, watching him and Naruki in this match, all I could think was, oh my God, do they have a great singles match in them? I don't know if it's uh, one that Ricky's capable of having three months down the line. I don't know if it's a King of Gate 2022 type deal. But if Doi can still go by, you know, let's say hypothetically King of Gate 2024, oh boy, are we in for something special. I really, I like their chemistry. I know they wrestled in Cork and Hall. That Cork and match was just fine. This was the good stuff. And I saw specifically with Ricky and Doi, just a, a, un, a, an ungodly amount of potential between those two there.
2: And as you're the Ricky guy, I'm going to throw some credits towards Ishan. Ishan's a little shit, sir. Have you noticed that like he constantly oh, absolutely. Is- He's constantly, like, with the crowd sometimes, like, you could hear him, like, yelling at things, and it pisses off in Toy and Don Fuji. It's it's great. Like, there's just a lot of really fun stuff here. And then, like, it the, the thing that, like, really kind of got me was there was the, I think it was a single, like, crab that uh, Don Fuji had Ishin in, and Ishin rolled it up into a penning combination. I was like, all right, that's showing Something that you don't expect someone who's now only two months into their professional career doing like, like it's something that I was like, all right, that th- that's a new element to him. That's a little facet to it that I thought was really kind of cool. Did you pick up on that?
1: Yeah, no, I there. The, the Hashi brothers are, are uh, you know, it, it's in, they're in a weird spot where they, they're getting their signature spots down, but they're also continuously adding more to their game. And it's making every one of their matches must watch, in my opinion.
2: The semi-main event was High high-end versus R.E.D., Yamato and Kagatora versus B.B. Hulk and Kaido Ishida. Hulk got the win with the first flash in 12 minutes with the seconds on Kagatora. I thought this was fine.
1: Yeah, my thoughts here are the same as the, the Cork and Hall match. The Yamato-Hulk stuff is not what I would do, but I think it's been effective, and the rest of the match was fine
2: yeah yeah uh it, it's something that like kind of struck me here was like did you think this was a little bit overwrought between yamato and bb hulk here in comparison to cork because i was like all right you're laying it on just a little bit thick
1: i i think you have to do that with hulk though i think you have to make it very clear that this guy can you know can knock out yamato with a single kick or you know in the case of the cork and hall show, i think it was two first flashes there's not until he holds up the, the shiny gold open, the dream gate championship belt. To me, there is not a way to put baby Hulk over too much.
2: Okay. That's fair. I just, and then once he holds the
1: title, then something has gone horribly, horribly wrong.
2: (laughs) Then your model got entered in the match.
1: Yes, uh, it, to to like a hip hop Kakuta level degree of like, oh, he mm-hmm. he actually can't continue. Um, but until that point in the build and the build, I don't think Hulk can be booked too strong. I think they need to continue to hammer this point home that with one kick or with two kicks or with a certain combination that he can pin Yamato and he can pin Yamato clean.
2: Yeah, no, that that's fair. It's just something that I was like, okay, this is just a bit much. Uh, we had the formal challenge after this uh hulk now has a really weird laugh that that like again like they're really like building up here and jay uh helpfully translated it on twitter uh yamato had probably one of the most damning lines that if, if someone else who used to be in this company would say this line six years ago would doom someone's career saying hey if you were cutting a promo like this when you were champion then you wouldn't have failed
1: Uh, So T-Hawk and L Lindemann are the current All-Asia Tag Team Champions. Um, Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it was very much a Shima-level promo from Yamato. It just was, I was like, oh, tell me how you really feel. Yeah, it was, we haven't really seen that since Shima would openly bash the Millennials during their promo segments where she would, would come out and go, you guys fucking suck. Let the pros talk for once.
2: Yeah, that was just something I was like, oh, wow, okay. Yeah, we really, no,
1: getting- we really haven't seen a lot of that in the, in the Ultimo era where it seems like, you know, a lot of those rosters on the same page, it seems like a lot of different guys get along, the, the whole story has been making amends with guys who maybe were wronged in the past and then Hulk, Hulk gets shot on in this promo, Yamato comes out firing from the hip and all of a sudden we were back in 2014.
2: It just was one of those things that I was like, oh, okay, we're going there. Like, oh, oh, all right, Yamato, we're on the same page here. That's fine. That's fine. But damn, that just was insane. He's <laughs> I'm not still wrong. Like, He's not wrong at all. Like, like me and Yamato f- on the same page about that, but just was very kind of pointed there. Main event, it was Natural Vibes and R.E.D. It was Kai, SB, Kento, and Hio versus the Twin Gate champions, Sumiyakoska, uh King Shimizu, and Funky, Jackie Kamei. Shimizu won with the Aided King press in 16 minutes and 23 seconds.
1: How about main event Funky Jackie Kamei? I mean, this guy. Hey,
2: my guy. My, 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 my boy's done it. My boy's done it,
1: Case. This was a lot of fun. This was uh, this was my match tonight. I went three and three quarters on this. I uh, I did panic when I opened up because I, I thought, oh, wait a minute. Was Kamei in the second match? Did he team with UT? No, he was in the main event on this show. I didn't have my notes open for a second. And I got very nervous that I suddenly spread fake news on the Open the Voice Gate podcast. But no, main event, Funky Jackie Kamei. I thought he delivered here and. I, you know, look, I like the in-ring action. There's not a ton I can say there. I will use this as a jumping-off point, Mike, to get your thoughts on the Open the Bravegate Championship Battle Royal that is coming up. Do you have a favorite going into that Battle Royal? Who do you think is going to win?
2: So I have my sentimental favorite. I hope Funky Jackie Hime wins. Yeah. I mean, it's something where you look at the, lot, the rest of the class of 2020, and, you know, Fu Chikawa, you throw it out there. So you're talking about... Uh, SB Kento, Hip Hop Kakuta, and you're talking about Funky Jackie and May, he's lagging behind the the other two. Of course, it's not very fair to compare basically anyone to SB Kento and, and, and like where they're positioned right now, but something that it feels like that this would be something that, you know, you get his first title shot underway. He's really come together. Like, he ate this wheelbarrow throw from Kai in this main event that was just, like, this guy will just fly around, has no compunction about hurting himself it seems like and i think he can use the next step forward i mean you, you look at the other people in this match kakatora most recent former champion you know don't really look like i mean he could win it but that doesn't that that, that seems to be going back to him a lot more quickly than expected ut i mean i'm not going to complain about that whatsoever but it just seems like that would be a little bit abrupt even though ut's been getting a bunch of wins Maria we've we've talked about her she got the big win on Cork and they've been building her up for a while I could see it I mean it's been a year since her last shot honestly Bravegate might be below Jason Lee at this point and then Punch and Sachi shouldn't come close to this title right now so it to me there's like only three people who legitimately who should legitimately win this match, and it's Maria, Ut, and Kamei. And if you put Funky Jackie Kamei in a situation where I could pick him to like get a title shot, I'm gonna be choosing Funky Jackie Kamei. I'm I, I've been team turtle coon since day one and I hope to see him win.
1: I don't necessarily agree with the sentiment that the Bravegate is below Jason Lee, but what I will say is that I do think Jason Lee versus SP Kento in a Bravegate match is below Kobe Sambo Hall. That is, to me, that is a pay-per-view level match. Yeah, on yeah the that's second the right way half to put it. The card. Yeah, that, that I, look, I would love it if that's the direction they go, but I honestly think that would be underselling the match. I, I agree, I think Maria's a threat, I think UT is a threat, but something hit me watching this match that, in the class of 2020, obviously Kamei and SB Kento... Debuted at the same time, and they spent a lot of 2020 together, teaming or squaring off in tag matches against one another. But since SB Kento's turn in November of last year, these guys have touched three times before this match. They wrestled a three-minute match on the December 2020 Cork and Hall show. That was the. Uh, continuation of the main event where hip-hop Kakuta became hip-hop Kakuta when he turned heel, and then Kamei fought with the Torimon generation to take on RED. They wrestled again in a non-televised match in Kamei's hometown in a, in a multi-man tag in uh, January, and then they did the same thing in June. This Kyoto match was, for all intents and purposes, the first real match that Espy Kento has had against Kamei in any form or fashion, whether it be Takedo Kame or Funky Jackie Kamei. They have held these guys apart for a year, and I think that's notable, and I think that's intentional, and I think they're going to rip the band-aid off, and I think they're going to do that Open the Brave Gate match in Kobe Sambo Hall this upcoming weekend.
2: Yeah, and, and it's something that, I mean, they've kept them apart intentionally. It's also because, you know, SB Kento went to the moon and kamei they were still like holding off and then he was going to join natural vibes sadly then he broke his uh, was it his did he have a collarbone too like he had something was... awful
1: i don't remember what it was but it sounded really painful
2: yeah and it, it's something that i expect this to be a feud and like a generational rivalry to pick up throughout their career but at, uh, at like this point, there is a big point of divergence. I would say, like this is the time to get this match in now, unless they're going to be in a bunch of like twin and triangle gate matches with each other. Because SB Kento's going at a certain incline that Takedo Kame is not. I'm sorry, Funky Jackie Kame is not, and that's fine. So I think this is the time to do it for because of that. Because who knows next time you would you would really have it outside of a king of gate context.
1: Yeah, you see the amount of, you know, R.E.D. versus Natural Vibes, multi Multimans, that have, have been spread throughout these cards this year, and I think it would have been really easy to have, you know, Susumu and Shimizu and Kamei against SB Kento and Kai and, and Eita or whatever. To me, it's very intentional that they've kept them apart, and like you said, this is this is the time to do that match. That's That's a great point that I really hadn't even considered, was if you're going to do a singles match between these two and have it be somewhat competitive... I think it has to be now. I think that, that strengthens my case of, I think we're going to get SBK versus FJK this weekend.
2: Yeah. And you look at the rest of the cards and we'll, we'll go over them to close out the show here. And it's something that like, given what what the rest they've announced on, uh on the 16th on Sunday, it makes sense. Like I wouldn't be completely, I don't think that's a bad main event for a second night in Kobe Sambo hall there. There's enough stuff there that I think fills out the card pretty well. So you're not, just thrusting funky jackie kamei who i think this was his first main event in kyoto <laughs> just suddenly in there I, I think that that you've kind of that they've kind of created a uh, situation and an environment where this match can happen and won't feel out of place whereas six months from now i feel like it would be very out of place
1: is sb kento versus maria in terms of the fan base a stronger main event than sbk versus Kame?
2: maybe maybe uh i mean maria is such like the natural baby face so whenever like she has opportunity in these positions like it makes sense especially against someone who's position like sbk but like you look at like the rest of the rest of that show here like really like the two people who should not come should not be sniffing it because uh, if we're talking about like bad main events are Tominaga and sachi like kakatora like they're not going to go back to it but the, like that's not going to be a bad main event. UT would not be a bad main event. So I mean, like you could, I, I feel like that the situation is comfortable enough for Maria or Kame here. And of course, as, as we said, Jason Lee versus Kame, uh, or not Kame SBK here is going to be, is selling that match short here. So I think those are the two matches that I feel like would be appropriate.
1: Yeah, I I think I, may, maybe I have a poor poor read on this. I think Kame at this point is probably a bigger deal than Maria is. I think UT still has an edge on Kame, but given the fact that it's a two night deal, it seems like he got a pretty strong undercard with what the Ahashi brothers are doing on a, uh, on night two of this Sambo hall show. I think Kame versus SP Kento would be a fair main event. And if not, then you, then you put that high end versus Red match at top and you call it a day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think both, both ways are pretty okay with that. And, should we talk about the sambo hall shows before we get into dragon gate Noah okay so Let, let's yeah, I, I don't i life. don't have a
1: ton to say on these shows uh, there's only a few matches here that really stick out for me so let's quickly go through kobe and then we'll talk about no one get out of here
2: all right so actually i didn't realize that this is a day night doubleheader i thought these were across two days oh that might have been a typo this yes it's a they typo. are
1: it's uh yeah saturday and sunday
2: yeah, so the 15th is the we have the full card here. Uh, we have Masquerade versus Red, Shun, Minora, and Daya versus Hio, Diamante, and Inferno, Dragon Kid, and Izushi Kanda versus Ata and SB Kento. That's interesting. Uh, we have the uh, Hashi Brothers versus Don Fuji and Takashi Yoshida. We have the KZ comeback match, haven't talked about this at all. KZ has made his return. He's a very stubborn person. He's coming back very quickly. It's KZ, Sasumi Yokosuka, King Shimizu, and KinKi Horiguchi versus Masaki Mochizuki, Noruki Doi, Shuji Kondo, and Problem Dragon. Well, that kind of telegraphs things a little bit there. And then the other uh, non-Bow Royal match is High End versus RED. Uh, just a Dreamgate preview. It's Yamato Bensuke versus Hulk, Kai, and Ishida. And as we were just talking... They Open the Brave Gate, number one contender, Royal Sambo, Bow Royal, Kakatora, UT, Yosuke San Maria, Funky Jackie Kamei, Jason Lee, Pancho Managa, and Satyoko Boy. The next night is the 16th. It will be SB Kento defending against the Royal Sambo winner. Other matches on the card, we have Shun, Daya, and Estrella versus Eita, Diamante, and Daya Inferno. Boy, that that's pretty much like those those that's the combination i'd want out of red masquerade right now to be honest and then we also have eight man tag uh high end yamato dragon kid kesuke akuda Benkei, bb hulk kai ishida and hyo and then we have a match that case i almost predicted kind of like the, some of this these pairings in this match six man tag don fuji Yazushi kanda suji kondo versus strong machine j and the hashi brothers we're getting that Team Showa a little bit earlier than I was anticipating. Maybe maybe people were listening to this show and were like, hey, that's a good idea that Mike Spears has. Maybe we should run with that there. So we have all of that, and it's not a complete card because they will fill out the rest of the card pending the results of the Battle Royal. So, Case, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Night one, pretty simple. Obviously, I, I can't believe Dranget has made me excited about a Battle Royal, but I am legitimately excited to see who comes out of this Battle Royal as the winner. Draenkin and Kanda versus A10 SP Kento. Do you remember uh, a two-on-two match with A10 SP Kento teaming before this?
2: If it happened, it might have been just, like, just somewhere on the sh- on the card, and I just kind of spaced on it, you know? Like, I don't remember it happening. I assume it probably did, though. But, I, 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 mean, don't, I don't know. Hidden it doesn't, it doesn't weird, sound though. familiar
1: to me. Uh, Dragon yeah. and Kanda is a very strange team, but I I feel like between the two of us, we would remember if A-10 SB Kento team two-on-two two like this. So I, that's notable. That's going to be uh, just given what we speculate is going to happen with R-E-D. That is suddenly a must-watch match. And then you have KZ here, and it, it's hard to analyze this because one, he's in the ring against Problem Dragon, so the result is obvious unless they really pull a fast one on us and have Doi or Mochizuki or even Kondo pin him. But I don't, I don't get the impression that's what this match is designed to do. We'll have a lot more KZ talk next week once we have an idea of where he's going after this match. It's really... I don't think there's much of a preview here. I think there will be a lot to review, though.
2: No, I think that's entirely fair. And then, I mean, those three matches on Sunday, I mean, the, the, everything's focused. Like, as much as, like, the Dreamgate situation has not been something that has been to our tastes, but now they're building it up really well. And then you have the uh, Diaz opposite each other and then you have the rookies and another second generation star versus the old guys that are just going to try to beat the crap out of them. Like, I mean, I think that I really like those three matches. If you haven't noticed case,
1: I I have a perverse level of excitement for the six band tag with the Yahashis and strong machine J because that that is a real sink or swim environment for a J because I know the opposing side, that Fuji Kondo and Kondo trio they're going to bring it. This is their environment. This is where they're going to shine the brightest. I, from everything I've seen from the Hashis, I have no reason to doubt them. Very, very curious to see in a match where I think five guys are going to be on, and I think they're going to be on their A game. What does Strong Machine J bring to the table? And I think we're going to learn a lot about him and his his immediate direction as we head into the new year from this match and i just i wonder if my boy can hang or not that's that's what i'm wondering is strong machine j a good hang i think we're about to find out
2: yeah because if you look at where he was this last week he existed and i think that's the most generous way we could say <laughs> right now so it's, it, it's going to be real interesting and we saved the uh, post-match side from kyoto to talk about now kenzo suzuki's uh chosen tag team to challenge against the natural vibes champion team of Susumi Yokosuka and King Shimizu are from Noah. It is Congo of Kano and How that they came in. Uh, How was the one who took the microphone, started talking a whole lot of crap, ripped off his t-shirt, immediately got lariated. got a Jumbo no Kachi for some Sumu and Kano just stood there looking angry and very fascinating match. A, a big deal that it, the, Gate Destiny is being presented by the Leck Corporation. Usually, this is the first time in my recent memory that there has been a title sponsor of a Dragon Gate Big Five show. And they've made it very clear that this is a match put on because of uh, Dragon Gate on Amazon Prime presented by the Leck Corporation. And it, it gives us like a deeper look into this Dragon Gate and Noah relationship that has i don't want to say simmering like it's existed pretty much since before covid and it's something that now seems to be with the exception of like conglomerate like sister brother promotions this seems to be probably the deepest relationship i would say in major japanese pro wrestling it seems like
1: yeah I can speak to this from the the in-ring perspective of, oh, my God, we're going to see Susumu wrestle Kano and on a personal level, that very much excites me. Now, we were talking a, a few days ago about this Noah Dragon Gate relationship and perhaps some of the motivations behind it. I thought Mike made a really good point in terms of what this does for Noah specifically, way more so than Dragon Gate. So so please do have the floor and elaborate on what you were talking about.
2: So I'm putting together a show for the EE Patreon next week where I have a series of shows where it's it's more it's less rambling thoughts, but it's more me just kind of delving deep into something and just giving like kind of like a commentary of it. I call it my tea break because I'm always making myself a cup of tea. And by the time I finish the cup of tea that's in this show, but the next one I'm doing is about japan and how the japanese wrestling scene looks and how things might be happening after the state of emergency that's set to expire and not renew and especially moving towards uh the end of the year and in 2022 where it seems like things are going to be going back to a new normal uh one thing that and, and in the show that i'm further like putting together patreon.com backslash everything elite three tiers yeah 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 uh I, I'm talking, uh, one of the things that I'm like playing together and formulating is how these companies are looking and what they've really have done over this time period. And I find Noah very fascinating. And I think it's something that a lot of people, for good reasons, are very critical of the uh, current direction and booking of NOAA as it pertains to how Nosao Rangai, who is the booker of a Wrestling Noah, has gone to a, a, a trope that we make fun of a lot case, but it's something that it makes sense in Noah in a way. But it's a very a short term makes sense and not long term, and that Noah, as I'm assuming our listeners know, is owned now by CyberAgent, who it, has a streaming platform called Abima. And because Cyber Agent already had DDT, Tokyo Joshi Pro, Gonbare Pro. They were looking to f- I, it is in my opinion when I've like talked to people both like both within the wrestling industry and outside the wrestling industry, both in Japan and outside of Japan. It's very clear that NOAA is trying to target a different demographic for the Abima platform because it's a streaming platform. It's one of those things that's used on mobile devices. Overwhelmingly so, and to my understanding, there's not a huge uh, user base of what are typically called salarymen, which are uh, office workers, often in their late 40s upwards to like 70, using the platform. So the wrong guy has a tendency over his entire career of when he books something, he likes bringing in. Names that he likes, especially when he was younger, and he likes bringing in old stars. And the idea that Kenji Muto, you know, was no AJC champion in the, up until last week, to me, screamed, oh, you're bringing one of the biggest stars of the 90s and early 2000s into this as a way of saying, hey, I might not watch wrestling anymore, but I know who Kenji Muto is, and I want to watch this guy from when I was younger on this platform. Does that all make sense, Kis? Yes. Do you think I'm off base in saying that? No, I, I think that's very fair. And in doing so, you really are catering towards that. And yeah, the Noah fan base, like I have no concept of what like the true Noah fan base is right now. I, I'm not certain if Noah does. It's gone through so many different iterations, especially since the passing of Mitsuharu Misawa, that it it's very I I I don't think I'm off base in saying it's very fragmented. It's not as like cohesive as you would consider like a DDT fan base or the new japan fan base under bushi road but by going hard towards like frankly tradition and real japan pro style kind of stuff you're going to get like a certain kind of audience there however you're still going to need people to like flesh out the cards misaki mochizuki has been working in noah pretty consistently since 2019 i want to say 2019 Yes. So they bring in Masaki Mochizuki who has done this before. And now like is there. Now Ata is now GHC junior tag team champion of Nosawa. And it's something that I, and I've, well, we've talked to some people that are like, you're not way off base. And at least in your interpretation of it, I think that Noah is using these Dragon Gate stars who the Dragon Gate fan base, very singular very devoted to Dragon Gate for the most part, specifically saying like, hey, Ata, big star, big merch mover. He's showing up in Noah now. Well, I need to go check out Noah because I want to follow my guy in Noah. And it's a different, uh, it's, a, it's a completely distinct and different fan base than what Nosawa has been bringing in. It's a different fan base than what Noah was even before Nosawa, wrong guy. And I think it's something that benefits Noah in a way. And it's something, you know, gets butts in seats for lack of better words.
1: Yeah, it, it's, you know, I, I've been very critical of Noah on this show. I've dubbed it my least favorite promotion in the world. Not because I hate the talent, although I'm not really a Kitamiya guy, and I, I don't like prime Muto, so imagine how I feel about crippled Muto or, you know, old man broken down Muto. It just does absolutely nothing for me. Um, but there's talent on this roster. Between the Gate guys they're bringing in, the juniors like Ohara, guys like Kano, guys like Nakajima, who... Uh, it certainly has a claim to be the best wrestler in the world right now. If he's not, he's certainly in the top five. Masato Tanaka, who never breaks down. There's talent on this roster, and I have felt like for so long, especially in the juniors division. But big picture, even, I feel like that talent has been mismanaged. I feel like they've been led down the wrong path with Nozawa's booking. But I have to give Nozawa credit. The partnership with Durangate, the way I see it and the way you see it, is a very, very calculated move to get more eyeballs on the streaming service and, and more so with Ata than with Mochizuki. We asked somebody who uh, would know better than that, somebody who lived in Japan for a long time, you know, what do you think the, the Noah fan base thinks of this? And they, you know, or I'm sorry, what, what do you think the Drangate fans think of, of this move? And they're like, well, they, they probably care about Ata going at this point, Mochizuki, you know, uh, it, it matters to Mochizuki's fans, but not to the big picture. And this is, uh, for as much crap as we give Nozawa, and it is all warranted, this is a brilliant move by him. I- I'm really excited at the prospect of whatever this relationship becomes.
2: Yeah, and it's something that it gives, like, I mean, the, the, the Misaki Mochizuki there, he was not going to be focused on. He's still not really being focused on. I mean, the fact that he was in the Dreamgate picture was something I was like, oh, this might be it you know like just because of his age and the generational shift that is ongoing in the company but it gave it, it, it provides an outlet in a lot of ways similar to an outlet they had with all Japan that obviously that relationship I don't think it's negative it just doesn't really it's not happening right now for if you look at at champions that case mentioned earlier this year or earlier this show yep but uh it's something that provides like another avenue it gives Ata right now, he, he gets the opportunity to play Paraguay Junior, his favorite wrestler of all time. So it, it makes sense there, and it's it'll be like a nice kind of situation that, like, I think that if they're going to continue sending people from Dragon Gate over there, it will be like, of course, it'll be like the person that they're going for, like the person we talked to talking about Ata. People are there for Ata, but like with, with like people on this roster who tend to disappear for a lack of a better words, like Benke. Like, is he going to be someone that's going to immediately look dwarfed on that roster? Maybe in some cases, but it gives him something to do. For the junior division that, I mean, I'm not going to even try to comprehend how he books that junior division. It could, you know, provide not only depth there, but for like people that, you know, we've talked about this for like the last couple of years case. It's going to get more and more difficult finding ring time for people. So having people like show up there and get the reps that they need. I think that's a pretty good move. So it's interesting. And then, of course, like now Dragon Gate's getting like returns and having Kano and how challenging for the Twin Gates. And I don't think I would suspect to see a lot more coming Dragon Gate's way. But it's one of those things that as I was putting this all together, case I thought this was all kind of fascinating. I threw this this idea at you. I think I took you aback by my but by by like this theory here. And it's going to be very fascinating for me to see it going forwards because i feel like that this is something that there could be a lot of legs here and of course dragon gate has had a history of noah i mean uh the jhc junior have junior tag team championships eight is not the first dragon gate person to win those titles like that was a long kind of thing i think it was for a better part of a year that that those belts were defended in dragon gate so it's gonna be fascinating it's just something that with Keno and how uh, challenging for the titles. am i pronouncing how's name right is it pronounced how
1: that's what i'm going with until i'm told otherwise okay
2: so it's just something that'll be interesting to see going forward basically And
1: it, eh. it's very interesting with Ata specifically because he is right now for all intents and purposes the biggest star in dragon gate and him partnering with nozawa in particular is incredibly interesting because what we know about those two on a personal level it seems like they have a ton in common, meaning that they both love Mexico, basically. And for Aita to be in a position of power within his promotion, and Nozawa to, in a, in a in a strange twist of fate, to be one of the most powerful men in the world of professional wrestling, I I think this relationship will will certainly uh, be longer than the two thousand seven two thousand eight relationship that we saw between these two promotions. And while I love uh, what those two did a decade and a half ago. I think this could be even more interesting. So I'm very excited at the prospect of it. It's it's probably not going to happen, and this is a Noah spoiler. If you have still not caught up on that show, skip ahead 15 seconds. I really want Nakajima back in Dragon Gate for one more match. I don't know if it's going to happen because he is the Noah champion, but a man can dream.
2: Of course, of course. Uh, I don't think we... we... I was planning on talking about this, and it's kind of a weird end of him. Should we talk a second about Nosawa's relationship with Dragon Gate, guys? Because it's kind of interesting.
1: Please, go ahead. So,
2: to my understanding, Nosawa was in Mexico all during, like, Toriman, Mexico. And he was someone that, like, it, it, it's very similar to Okamura and CMLL. He was someone that helped out a lot of uh, Japanese wrestlers when he was over there. And it kind of formed, like, a friendship there that, I mean existed like i mean there were dragon gate guys on the tokyo gurantai produce shows for a long time i mean we were making jokes maybe last year about how long masaki mochizuki were like the tokyo was like the tokyo tag team champion so it's something that i would not be surprised like if something were to happen tomorrow and nosawa was booted out of noah and he appears in another major promotion i would not be surprised to see dragon gate being involved in some fashion just because there is that deep relationship to my understanding
1: yeah, I mean, outside of Sugi, it seems like Nozawa has friends everywhere in Japan and in Mexico, and that's to a degree a, a pretty valuable ally to have
2: yeah, so it, it, it's very interesting. It'll be something to kind of track going forward, but man, we almost went two hours this this week. we knew this was going to be a big show, this was the dessert uh. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here before we get to into hour three of the show?
1: Um, do I have anything else? I don't think so. We covered Kobe, that battle Royale is coming up this weekend. We talked about Nozawa, we talked about Paraguayo Sr. And we talked about SP Kento. That's all I want from a podcast. I think I'm good.
2: All right. So you can follow us on Twitter at Open VoiceGate. You can follow Case at underscore in your case. You can follow me at Fujiheya. We'll be back next week talking about this Kobe Sambo Hall doubleheader and talking about this battle royal and SB Kento's Brave Gate defense coming up this Sunday. So that's gonna do it. We'll catch you next time. Take care